0: Yum yum There is and I There is
1: Hello I'm Dave and I'm Rob I'm Trace. And I'm Tom. And this is the Goodies Pirate Podcast. This week is episode 65, where we're talking about Saturday Night Greece, which was first broadcast as part of series 8 on the 21st of January 1980. Guys, we've hit the 80s here. Yes. A Monday at 8:10 pm.
2: Are you born yet,
1: Dave? Five more months. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What did we all think of this one, Tom?
2: I like this one. It was just a lot of fun. I think they had a ball making this one and it came across on the screen really well.
1: Rob, what about you?
3: As someone who was forced a great deal to watch Greece with my sister many, many years ago, I got a lot of the jokes on this and I, like Tom, I really just enjoy this. This is a lot of fun.
1: Trace, welcome back. Thank you. What are your thoughts on Saturday Night Greece?
0: It's always been one of my favourites, probably because of the montage at the end. and and other bits along the way. There's been a history of music theatre in my family, so that possibly helped.
1: We've said before that with a lot of these Goodies episodes, the more you get the reference material, the more I think you get out of it. I think that's very much the case here. I certainly enjoy it. I have to say, I don't know if it's my dad's actual favourite episode all over, but the opening five minutes is his favourite five minutes of the Goodies, per se. I think that that image of Tim that we're going to talk about in a moment (laughs) is one of the iconic, Images certainly from the second half of the goodies run, I think it's fair to say. Absolutely. So on that note, we will get into it. Obviously, I don't think we're doing anything particularly insightful here if we say this is a reference to the movies Saturday Night Fever and Grease, which came out in 1977 and 1978, respectively. So they were two and a half years before the episode was filmed.
3: It probably just goes to show that those particular movies that they're riffing off, were extremely popular at the time and they were obviously fodder for them to strip mine for, for gags and stuff like that.
1: All right, so we go into the opening segment there, which is completely without dialogue and it's purely Tim getting ready for a night out at the disco. <laughs> <laughs> so we start with him doing his hair, then we see him putting on his carrot-fronted undies, he puts on the bath plug medallion, he then puts a little John Travolta-style etch into his chin and puts on his slightly too tight pants. Slightly. (laughs) What sort of an opening did we think of this? It's unique, isn't it, an opening montage of this nature? I think so. I can't think of anything else that just starts with no dialogue for this long.
2: And also then really going to... It's almost a candid camera style uh, commando filming down the streets of Cricklewood. Um, (laughs) (laughs) People's reactions as Tim's going by because they did not expect it. You know, you look at the faces Mm. of the people that he goes past and, you know, oh, I'm going to backstep to this lady here.
1: Just astounding. It is, and that shot of Tim dressed as John Travolta strutting down the streets with, as you say, the general public just looking at him in utter bewilderment. I believe it took at least three goes for him to record this and then they actually had to do it with a long lens from quite a distance away and just let Tim get what he could because as you notice there, the crowd just uh, surprisingly wouldn't keep away from him.
3: There's one point where one fellow, actually, you can just see he reaches out to shake his hand and they, they've cut that end bit off. I could have only imagined Tim being excruciatingly embarrassed for part of that. It just It's something that I could never have done. I, mean, I know he's a performer and he's been up on stage and all that sort of thing, but getting out there amongst the great unwashed and performing like that, is, it just seems pretty hard to me.
1: It is, but it's very funny. And this oh, episode, absolutely. I think, just hooks you in from the start, would you say? Mm. Very much so. Agreed. Like now, he then arrives at the disco and is promptly thrown out and heads back to see the goodies other than his uh what very high voice due to his very tight trousers yes and so they have a bit of an exchange there where uh graham and bill shall we say are slightly judgmental about tim's choice of leisure activity and bill oddy in fact just points out that all he uses after a bit of smut <laughs> to the point now where tim's desire for smut seems to involve Olivia Newton-John having replaced the Queen as the portrait behind his chair.
3: But like Tim, she's a bit of a goody two-shoes, that was her image at that time, especially in Grease the Movie.
2: That was the role from Grease the Movie. That probably expanded later on into Xanadu.
1: When you say, Rob, Tim has some of the more embarrassing things to do in here, I can see them going, wouldn't it be really funny if one of us was walking down the street dressed as John Travolta? Yeah, let's give that to Tim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think Graham would do that. No, no.
1: And indeed, Graham, I mean, we that in series seven that Graham had noticeably aged. Mm. By now, he has aged, you know, another couple of years, and I just couldn't imagine Graham actually pulling that off anymore.
3: No, no he would just look like an older man, sort of <laughs> trying to be hip and failing badly, so...
1: <laughs> which I guess is what Tim's trying to do as well, but he at least carries it off. Mm. That leads into what is one of my favourite sequences, which is them starting to very actively riff-grease and doing the whole tell-me-more, tell-me-more little dance, mm. which I find really, really funny. They refer to Olivia Newton-John, however, as the Australian Plastic Bint. <laughs> Any comments on that?
3: Should we stand up for our Australian Bints? <laughs> <laughs>
0: do, we, do we point out that technically she's not actually Australian?
1: Okay, didn't know this, so tell
0: me. Uh, tell, me more. tell me more. <laughs> uh, she wasn't born in Australia, was she? Okay.
1: She uh, is UK
0: born, I, she's, I believe. I think she's is English, right? yes.
2: Yeah. Emigrated and did one of those 60s talent shows, uh, the Brian Henderson one. Okay. In New South Wales in the 60s, and that's where she was discovered. So, oh, so she
1: did the Bee Gees? Pretty
2: much, yeah.
3: Okay, that's, that's appropriate. And then yeah. made it to America and starred sort of in Xanadu, didn't she? And, uh...
2: Did anyone star in Xanadu? No, no. <laughs> to see Gene yes, Kelly stick low. But we all saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Many times,
1: yes. There's also the wonderful line in there where Bill Lottie says, regarding uh, Olivia Newton-John. Give me an average any day, at least she's a real woman. <laughs> yeah. and the look on
0: Graham's face at that point is classic. Yeah, it's a really good just Graham reaction shot. It yes. is. We then get... What
1: I guess is almost the equivalent of one of the filmed inserts for this episode, which is the completely random cutaway to Grease cycling. Yeah. Which, it, it, unusually for the goodies, that normally what they cut away to is at least inside the plot or inside their goodies universe. Mm. This is just a complete... Cut away from reality.
2: Well, it's a pastiche of the the Grease Lightning song. I mean, it's very close to the Grease Lightning bit. That so Bill's gone off there and written some words, or Dave McRae's gone off to write some words for this, with the tune being very reminiscent. That I'm thinking, I wonder if they've had copyright on
3: that. Actually, I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it, Tom. Uh, There's a lot of music from both movies that features heavily in this episode. Yes. A, how they get away with it? And B. Any future? Well, is it been released on DVD? Yes, it, it has. Too, so it is. there's obviously no rights issues. Yeah,
1: they've obviously made okay. a proper deal. Yeah, mm. but you know you're right. The, the Grease cycling filming is very, very close in terms of even the staging yeah. to the Grease Lightning, bit out of Grease. But it is just odd that they sort of all disappear, do this, and then they're back. It is just a cutaway. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It is strange. Uh, look again. I suppose they're so they're lending so heavily on those two movies. It, I suppose it makes sense to go with something that was really. I suppose, really popular at the time when the movie came out. And it also, it ends with that classic image of the tandem you know, backwards upside down. <laughs> and three stooging their way
2: through not, the end Not your
0: standard dream sequence resolution, perhaps. No, yeah. no, absolutely.
1: They decide they're all going to go out dancing at this point. You start off with Tim coming out dressed as John Travolta, which is kind of funny, but it's kind of what we're doing at this moment. At that point, Bill comes out wearing the, uh, the full dancing, ballroom dancing tux with tap shoes. Mm-hmm. Like he taps on his feet. Exaggerated. The exaggerated version, yeah, with the tails that cover the whole length of the room and all of that. Which leads to another wonderful moment. It's again just Graham's deadpan delivery where Tim complains, Graham, Bill's not taking it seriously. And Graham walks out in the dress, <laughs> Bill, take it seriously.
2: It looks strange, three fellas going out dancing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. Uh, which is, yeah, it's just again very funny. It did feel just a little bit. Are uh, you being served at this point? which just, you know, each character coming out in a slightly funnier costume. Mm. Although, I don't think it's a little bit of a roof. It's just uh, something that I noticed. Which leads into their dance lesson. <laughs> so, Grills decided he's going to go off to find a disco. Or maybe start his own disco. Dot, dot, dot.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> so, Graham has to teach Tim how to dance. So, they start off by reminiscing about the twist. And then, Graham teaches him the disco heave.
2: Ah, uh, yes.
1: <laughs> yes. The sad thing about this is that it's almost convincing as a dance itself, if you don't know the background. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> well, it does
0: fit very well later in the episode when they're at the disco and everyone else is dancing to the disco heave. Yes. Oh. Now, the
1: music for the disco heave, which we hear here and later on the disco, Tom, what can you tell us about that? That was
2: specially composed by Bill and Dave McRae, and then they also did some other new recording based on what we hear later, but that's based on uh, Night Fever and other stuff by the Bee
1: Gees. Yeah, it is. It sounds very similar as well to The Hustle, which is interesting because they use The Hustle properly later on in the episode, so it's interesting they felt the need to compose some extra stuff Mm. just for them. But I guess if you're composing your own dance, why not?
3: Yeah, and it is a funny sequence. I mean, the, the whole episode is full of funny sequences. It's It, uh, it adds a lot to the episode, but the disco heave. It
2: does. It and is. as
3: someone who myself can't dance at all, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a template that uh, right. I may use in the future if I ever get down to a, my well, local yeah. nightclub. You haven't yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe if ever you have to accompany your daughters on some sort of ball yes, or graduation ball and uh, impress be, their friends with the disco heave. I'll be heavily armed, though. <laughs> Maybe
3: not. Probably better than doing the nut (laughs) bush.
1: Now, we then move on. The stuff there in the disco, I've got a couple of questions about. I get the whole notion of Tim walking up and pulling his zip down, being offensive and getting the girl to scream. The whole no touching he touched me stuff, where's that from, if anywhere, or is it just a conceit for the episode?
3: I think it's a conceit for the episode.
1: Is it a conceit that
3: works? It's amusing. I think the whole... Dance as a sort of analogy for sex sort of is is maybe what's going on here. So you can't really talk about sex as such. So let's talk about dancing and then people getting intimately close is a bit too much for your sort of British or English sensibilities at this time frame. So you're seeing it through the prism of of dance, maybe what's going on here.
1: And I guess when you look at it, when you go back to the Pride and Prejudice era, dancing was the only way in which, you know, polite society, men and women could... Be in physical contact with each other
3: in public. Yes, and I mean they, they take it
1: to the nth degree. Where you know eventually
3: police are called in and to separate them, and there's violence. I mean that in itself is amusing.
0: Well, yeah, watching this as a kid, we didn't really think about the mixed dancing thing. It was just part of the episode.
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess
0: that's carried on as I re-watched it.
1: Yeah, you sort of take it for granted now, don't you? It's like oh
0: yeah, this is the one with the mixed dancing issue.
1: Yeah, so it ends up then with Tim being arrested for mixed dancing. He touched a girl. He touched a girl.
0: <laughs> where when did he touch her?
2: In the disco. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which which has a bit of
3: resonance, given the zeitgeist that we're currently moving through at the moment. But, uh... That
1: crossed my mind as well, actually, yeah. yes.
3: Yeah. Mm.
1: We won't touch that one. Pardon yeah. pardon. <laughs> Graham then goes to see Bill at Bill's new club, Disco Billius, where no one can get in. Unless they meet Bill's stringent requirements, including nobody getting in without a Bianca Jagger. All wearing socks. All wearing socks. (laughs) Bianca Jagger, of course, being Mick Jagger's wife from 1971 to 1978, and he's now 72 years old. So just think about that one for a moment. Uh, Yeah, Rod Stewart, as you alluded to, Tom, does want to get on, and he's wearing one sock, which gets a good laugh from the audience. Yes. He's wearing a wear, and then later on, I can't have him in here with the one sock in his nose. So at this point, Graham informs Bill they need £5,000 to bail Tim out, which is kind of the plot of every bad sort of high school sitcom or young person's adventure story ever. Like, if only we had £1,000 to do what we need to do for the plot. Ah, here's a competition with exactly the right prize money for us to be able to do what we need. It keeps the movie going, but I do think it was a little bit of a conceit there. Any other... Points that you guys want to make on the disco Billiest part of the episode? Well,
2: I was a fan of just the whole sequence of uh, Bill just smashing stuff. Just so like, no, I'm just into loud noises. Leading up to the joke at the end by Graham, where he tries to drop the ice bucket and it bounces. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, clever.
1: It is, and it's a nice play on the idea of these discos becoming so exclusive that actually no one can get in, and as a result, Bill isn't making any money, but still has a large gold brick hanging around his neck causing him to walk slightly funny from there we go into the actual competition so yes the bbc panorama disco dancing championship yes which you know the joke being there that the very serious and po-faced current affairs show panorama would never be seen dead (laughs) doing a disco show but they do as hosted by robin yan who is not at all robin day that's another Nanogram.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that provides a great visual. He's just wandering around with a white sack on his head. And, and glasses. glasses. And the voice. It's clearly Graham doing the voice, isn't it?
2: There's Graham right. under there as well. Oh it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs>
3: so yes. it's just very funny.
1: It is very funny. And they're playing for the five thousand pound prize, which it looks like no one's gonna win because nobody's willing to mixed dance in public until
2: Yeah, Bill goes out and pressures a Lady of the streets, say? <laughs> 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 to come in and just stand there.
1: Yes, so you get the pogo tap with a very clever prop, I thought. That giant pogo stick with a dancing shoe on it. Yes. That was quite good. And then it leads into Graham and Tim singing you're the one that I want to each other. Yeah. Where we're now in just complete Greece rip off here. Like there's no subtlety or just, Yeah, you know, this is a reference to, this is just recreating that iconic scene from the conclusion of Greece. Yes. Mm. Did we enjoy it? Loved yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Nice that Tim wasn't the woman for a change.
1: That is actually a good point. And I, I thought Tim did it very well, but he starts off well, he's in the straightjacket, he's, he's doing the drunk revolver part, but then to see Graham. In complete, and the Olivia Newton-John with the leotard, and every time he moves his arm, you hear the stretching of the, and the <laughs> and the sound of the material, everything. Yeah, just, it's really quite funny. Graham does do it very, very well.
3: Mm.
1: We then get into the final sequence, which is them trying to essentially escape from the cops to various different dances. Now, I'll list them, and then maybe we can have a bit of a chat about the sequence as a whole. So they start off with the Tennessee Waltz. They then go into the Hustle. We then get a bit of a reference to West Side Story. We then get a bit of Village People. We then get The Sand Dance, which is, of course, a reference to Wilson, Keppel and Betty, who did their little piece to Egyptian Ballet, which was a staple of British musicals for literally 40-something years. The same act, 40-something years, and they continued to sell out musicals doing that one show.
2: Well, they don't see sand in Britain too much because the villages <laughs> are all rocks. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> maybe that's why. They then do an Indian rain dance. We then get singing in the rain. Uh, they do a reference to the Wizard of Oz for the Yellow Brick Road. Finally, they get to Fred and Ginger's cafe, which I thought was a nice little comment there. We'll mention that. And then we get the conga and the can can. So all up, there's about ten different dance styles or dance scenes that they reference. What do we all think of this last? Because it goes for about seven or eight minutes. I mean, it is by far the bulk of the episode. I suppose
3: it, this this is where the plot runs out as such. And it's just, well, we've got six or seven minutes to fill. Let's do something spectacular. I suppose it's their dance spectacular for the year.
2: It absolutely was. This is the part of the episode that everyone remembers because it is just time after time. It's a reference. And, you know, whether or not you knew Singing in the Rain, if you've never seen the film, you still know that song and Yellow Brick Road or the Can Can or the the hauler dance through the car wash or anything else like that even if
1: you don't know what west side story is you kind of get what they're doing in that bit yeah even if you don't know exactly what they're referencing
0: and if you do know a little bit about any of those things what flick colby's done is he's put in moves from those original things and a lot of the staging is very similar which makes it even better
1: yeah it is very cleverly done
3: and also shows even after nine or ten years of doing this the boys are still Full of energy, full of invention, and even if they're ripping off other stuff, they're doing it in a, in a really inventive and, and, and funny way.
1: It is. Plus, they've got obviously professional dancers to play the police. That helps. It, it does help a lot because if you watch, uh, for example, in the Singing in the Rain part, the goodies are just not remotely in time with the dancing. <laughs> but because the policemen also sort of behind them all, are, it gives you this impression that it's all being well choreographed and the yeah. goodies are doing, look, they're doing the best they can, probably better than certainly I think I could do, and I think I'm not alone in that. But it's really clever. And as we said before, references to stuff like Fruit and Ginger's Cafe just you know, shows exactly what it is that they're referencing. But yeah, it's a good finale to what I thought was a very fun episode. Uh, any other general comments on the episode?
3: Just full of lots of energy and, and gags. Just, they, they didn't seem to miss a beat in terms of the, the jokes that were coming along. And even though it possibly was a year to 18 months too late, viewed for you know, 40 years later, it's really good. It's still really good.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing that I think I really found was that it is very high energy and it does move along and change just enough so you do get the opening stuff, then you get a bit of stuff with them in their office and the dancing, the disco billia stuff I think is really good because it does break up the episode and give it a bit of a change of scene mm-hmm. and then again, yeah, nothing else stays as welcome, which compared to some other episodes we've looked at where we've said, you know, sequences or gags just run a little bit too long because there's really no way for them to go, they, they really keep up the pace here, mm-hmm. but I think it's just another episode in a really
0: good series. You remember that final dance montage the most, and then you go back and you go, Oh, yeah, had this bit, oh, no, had that bit, and that bit, and that bit, and there are all these other little good bits along the way that you sort of remembered rather than focusing on the final bit. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good there's stuff in here. Lots of good stuff. And an episode that I believe wasn't cut yet?
2: No, there was no cuts made on the Australian bits, and when I rewatched it again recently off the network DVD, I didn't notice anything new in that from what I originally remember from TV.
1: Okay, so we'll move on then to our regular segments. We'll start with first and tropes. Now, I've got here, there was a Land of Hope and Glory speech, Mm -hmm. as Tim escapes from the straitjacket. Max Bygraves gets a nice little side reference. Imagine somebody's put on a Max Bygraves record, and you don't know which way to turn to throw up.
0: (laughs) Any others?
1: Is there a moment of blackface?
2: Yes. Oh, yes there is When Bill blows up Bill's mm. dancing Pasadobla Explodes Yes and then they go Into the rivers of Babylon mm. Yes There's a bit of Blackface dancing there Just a bit Just a bit Any others? Ooh. It
1: is a very different episode I mean it's them They are being The normal goodies But it's a very different Sort of story for them
2: Isn't it? Just a very It's not a trope But it's there The tomato sauce bottles From Gunfight Turn up In the office
1: Oh I should have seen that <laughs> Oh well picked up What couldn't they get away with today? Tom, do you want to tell us the Mary Whitehouse story?
2: Well, it's based around the uh, underpants. Mary Whitehouse was not fond of the
1: prominent
2: shape of the carrot on Tim's underpants.
1: And I believe this was the first official Mary Whitehouse's National Viewers and Listeners Association complaint that the goodies got. Mm. And it covered that, and also the joke about the sock on the... Yes, the sock
2: on his... Knows. Yes. Because obviously he was alluding to something else before they cleaned it up. So
1: after seven and a bit series of trying to upset Mary Whitehouse, including lampooning her for an entire episode, (laughs) they finally get themselves a complaint. Yes. And it's in this one, of all the things, that that really strikes me, of all the things we've talked about over these episodes of stuff they couldn't get away with today, Mm. this is what it was that tipped Mary Whitehouse over the edge. But is it something you couldn't get away with today? And that's the thing. I don't think it is something you couldn't get away with today. Uh, I think it's actually quite tame
2: well the whole thing is because everything is it's like those wonderful not so wonderful 1970s british comedies of misunderstandings because you know the girls screaming in the disco when tim would drop his flight because he would just wanted to lower his voice mm-hmm. and uh, misconstrued opinion is of course that you know
1: yeah it's
3: something untoward
2: something untoward
1: all right we'll move on then to our favorite gags I'm going to kick off here by taking the Tell Me More, Tell Me More dance from the opening sequence, or just after the opening sequence. Not only is it very funny, but it's very well done. And the look of Graham, as everybody else has stopped and he's just continued just a few beats longer and realises he's the only one doing it. (laughs) I just think it's really, really funny, but a nice reference and nicely done. Rob, what about
3: you? Just a couple of lines from Graham. As I've said many, many times, I love Graham. that his line delivery and his physical comedy. You must say something about me where Graham says, you smutty pervert, and it's just the way he says it, it's funny. <laughs> and the other one, uh, snogging with Aussie trollops. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, snogging.
1: <laughs> Trace, what about you?
0: so many good bits i I do like the bit where bill's complaining that tim's making him sick while he's squirting tomato sauce over his huge greasy pile of spaghetti and whatnot (laughs) that was a nice little physical comedy there and just when tim's bopping around with his blob of bill cream falls off his hair onto the table while they're having that discussion which is unnoticed but it's very funny yeah
1: there's some good physical stuff in there and tom what was your favorite gag look
2: it's hard not to go past just the entire end sequence just everything there but just for a one-off it's graham trying to break the ice bucket with a bouncing in the disco bilious
1: yeah that was very very good so i think it's fair to say we've all really enjoyed this episode yes
3: certainly
1: excellent well next week we will be back with a kick in the arts so on your way to rig the olympics you might take a walk in the black forest (laughs)
0: teach you the, uh, the uh, disco heave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now, imagine you're in a disco and somebody accidentally puts on a Max Bygraves record. You don't know which way to go to throw up. <laughs> <laughs>